The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Kia ora and welcome to The Fold. This week we've got maybe the fanciest guest we've ever had. Yeah, let's just let's just go with it. Uh, his name is Mark Robinson. He is the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, which sounds like a very flash title because it is um, the boss of all rugby in New Zealand. And he has been in the job, I think, around nine months, which basically means that he was just getting his feet under the desk when the whole world exploded. If you listened to last uh, the episode with Melody Robinson a couple of weeks back, or even earlier in the year with Bailey Mackey, who's on the board of New Zealand Rugby, you'll get a sense of my feelings about the code. I've written about it before. I think that New Zealand rugby, not just the organisation, but almost the sort of superstructure of a society, the cultural force, has generally been quite a conservative element of New Zealand society. And when you add that to its long-running relationship with Sky, which has functionally put the product behind a paywall for a number of years, those things have kind of accelerated that sense of a, of a product that's ageing and not necessarily engaging as well as it should be with younger New Zealanders. But I think, and and hopefully this conversation bears it out, that Mark Robinson, the incoming CEO, is aware of that and keen to change it. Now, because of the million stakeholders you have, you know, New Zealand rugby is essentially owned by its feeder unions. It has a board which he reports to, but it also has hundreds of thousands of extremely interested parties. So this is a really complex, multi-stakeholder job. You could argue that this side of the Prime Minister, there aren't many people with more complex uh, jobs in terms of the public-facing parts that, than Mark has. So, so you you had this generation that you know his predecessor Steve Chu, the long running coaching cabal of of Graham Henry and Steve Hansen and, and Ian Foster, you know certainly has links to that. The publicity manager Joe Locke. There is a whole generation that's been there a long time, and ultimately they have a particular way of doing things. And you know for a long time it worked. I think that the challenge now is that the job of being New Zealand Rugby CEO in 2020 is just so different and so much more complicated than it was in you know sort of 2000 so those were the issues that confronted Mark when he stepped into the role then COVID happened then the borders closed then your figurehead brand you know almost alone among sports uh, rugby prizes its international 
competition. You know, you can make the argument with cricket as well, but they all there are a lot of really strong domestic cricket leagues around the world. But New Zealand rugby, despite it, you know, having its Super Rugby competition, which is also international, and its domestic competition, it really has gone all in on the All Blacks. The All Blacks are barely played this year, and what are the, what are the prospects with them playing next year? South Africa have effectively signalled their departure from Sanzar, which has been for a long time the kind of cash cow of of New Zealand rugby. They're entwined with Sky. Honestly, the situation that New Zealand rugby is in is just almost uniquely fascinating. It contains all kinds of really bad outcomes. It also contains a world of really exciting opportunity from you know the the growth of women's sport and and the huge potential of the black fans to a, a sort of a re-engagement with its provincial and community base. So we talked about all that. We talked about Match Fit, which I think is really interesting, this new show starring former All Blacks. And probably the thing that I found most interesting and instructive was when asked to talk about another sport which he admired. He he singled out basketball, singled out the NBA, in fact, as the one which is doing the best job. And that is a whole world away from where rugby is at right now. But if rugby can get there, it has a lot of the same dynamics and potential. It'll require a lot of work, but there's a real reward. And that's not just a real reward for New Zealand rugby. It's a reward for New Zealand. You know, that, that potential will sort of help grow the sport, both economically but also culturally, and New Zealand as a whole would benefit from that, I think. It's a relatively short conversation, and at times it probably gets a little bogged down in generalities, but I think that there are moments in there which if you're a rugby fan or interested in the business of sports from a media perspective, that you can see which way this organisation might head that are very interesting. If you're enjoying The Fold, please rate and review us on iTunes. That, That helps us stay in the charts. This is Mark Robinson on The Fold. Kia ora and welcome to the fold, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's good to have you. I mean, it's you know, I think in any situation, you know, the first year of uh, as CEO of New Zealand Rugby will be interesting. This year, like no other, obviously. I was thinking like you and Greg Foran at Air New Zealand and Cam Harland at New Zealand on Air all started you know within months, almost like you need a support group. How has your first year been? It's been a real whirlwind of a, you know, of a thing. I'm into month nine now. So, obviously, you know, there's been some huge challenges that have been well documented that we've had to deal with through COVID. You know, I started at the end of January. And I think I was into week four or five when this all hit. You know, I'm really proud of the way the organisation and rugby as a sport sort of come through what's been a hugely challenging year. And it's got a little way to probably run still with some uncertainty to come. But broadly, you know, we've, we've been able to ensure that the game could survive, that, that financially we could get through it. It's been incredibly hard on some of our people and our people have done an amazing job getting through this and helping rugby get through this. I think most importantly now, though, we're really motivated and excited about the future. You know, we, we see opportunities for rugby that give us the chance to, to reset a little bit and reposition the sport and to focus on how we can grow you know, in a number of different areas and for rugby to really flourish through our communities and into our professional game as well. So so starting to get really focused on that, but acknowledge that's going to take a lot of hard work and we have to change in a number of areas. In some ways, was it like a bit of a gift? You know, it felt like for a long period of time, 
in terms of the competitions, the way that it was presented to the public and so on, it was obviously evolving, but it was doing it at, at its own pace. The fact of having to create a competition from scratch and and now like sort of relook at the relationships with your international partners and so on, you know, it might have taken years to kind of get to that point without it being forced like this. Have, has there been some sense of this helping you sort of impose a new agenda or, or, or get the organisation out of a kind of a sclerosis which is inherent to any large organisation faster than you might otherwise have been able to? Well, there's no doubt that rugby faced challenges you know, pre-COVID. So the game hasn't been on a sustainable footing financially for some time and we do you know, have to be honest about the fact that we found areas such as participation and engagement at a number of levels in the game challenging. So in that regard, COVID is, I guess fast forwarded the opportunity to, to have a look at a lot of those things and as you say that sits certainly in terms of our professional competitions but it sits right down through our community game as well the ability to reset and have a look at those areas and you know that's what we're starting to do now if you look at the process we had to work through in, in COVID one was to make sure that our people were safe and well and we could get them all home and take care of them two was to be able to ensure the business could survive and, and financially be viable when we got to this time of the year and third was to begin to reposition and change and make the game more sustainable, but also at a whole range of different levels um, become a bit more fit for purpose in a, in a range of different areas. So in community rugby, for instance, that's starting to have a look at putting the participant right at the centre of the game. Historically, we've sort of said, hey, this is rugby, enjoy it or don't. In and around our professional side of the game, we'll be able to understand what our fans and commercial partners are wanting more and, and take stock of that as well and look to go into next year with some new ideas. So across the board, yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, that's interesting that you talk about this, this is rugby enjoyed or don't, because that was for a long time, that certainly felt as a fan what the presentation of it was like, which was great for people who'd grown up with it during particular eras of it where there was basically less competition for attention. Have you done research that's told you what has happened to rugby's audience over the last 20, 30 years and what lessons kind of take from that if you do know? Yeah, well, I think there's a number of things to that. I mean, people are consuming rugby in different ways now. There's only a certain set of people that will sit and watch all 80 to 90 minutes of, of a game, for instance. There's a whole lot of different um, ways in which people will, will consume the game. It hasn't changed that people want you know, an exciting brand of sport to watch and people want uncertainty of results, You know, so those things stand true. People want fantastic in-stadium experiences. They want to be entertained from the moment they set foot near the stadium right through that, I guess, that customer journey into the stadium and then when they leave again. So we've yeah we have done um, a lot of work through our Aratipu work around Super Rugby, especially most recently, looking at all the different things that help people engage with the game and make it more exciting and interesting for them to be part of. That will certainly be part of um, the work that we roll out with Super Rugby next year, and you know as we build up the competition in the future as well. But just getting back to the question, has the audience changed? My sense is it might have gotten older with the Sky consumer, for example. So obviously, yeah, there's still a there's still an older audience, but I think we're still seeing a younger audience but that younger audience is probably characterised like I say by the people that watch it in a little bit different way to what people have historically watched it so though maybe more um, highlights packages or snacking in and out of the game finding different platforms to watch it on and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's interesting right so like I, I saw that the highlights from Caleb Clark's second test have been viewed nearly a million times within maybe like a couple of days and that feels instructive. It's also a lot harder to monetize than the traditional relationships. Do you think that the relationship with Sky 
you know, which is obviously now like an investor relationship as well as a sort of more traditional rights relationship. Does that kind of constrain your ability to go and meet those audiences where they are? Well, Sky are um, very much like we are. They want to break into new audiences as well and have ideas about how they do that. So, no, I think we're working a good partnership to be able to try and achieve that. With the the All Blacks brand, which has obviously been this kind of, and probably will always be the the sort of crown jewel of of the portfolio, there's also a sense that it relies implicitly on other nations meeting it in there, which might have their own sort of internal dynamics. Right now, obviously, that they're a lot harder to get to. Has New Zealand rugby sort of over the last 20 years overemphasised that brand at the expense of some of the more domestic, uh, whether it's domestic competitions uh, or, or the, the sort of sub-unions or, um, you know, whether it's the, the Black Ferns, Māori All Blacks, etc.? Well, there's, there's no doubt that the All Blacks play a, a critical role in the overall revenue generation of, of New Zealand rugby. You can't avoid that. What I think we're looking to do through, you know, the change process we're, we're working through is to make sure that, firstly, clarify the purpose of all the different levels of the game uh, and get real clarity around that in our country and then provide the appropriate amount of resources and, and investment and um, focus into those areas. So if it is the community game, for instance, how do we, as I said before, make that um, a more participant-focused environment where there are great environments, you know, great coaching, great levels of competition that boys and girls want to be part of and therefore develop you know, a more lifelong love of the game. At secondary schools, you know, we know we've got challenges there. So how do we take the growth of our brands and the revenue generation that drives and allocate it in different ways and be smarter with our money and make our investments more fit for purpose. That's a big challenge sitting in front of rugby at the moment that we've just started consultation with a lot of our different stakeholders. You know, the, the emphasis on the, on the All Blacks and the importance of that legacy and, and the winning record they have will always be very critical to the organisation, absolutely. The way in which we invest in the future, I guess we've had a very sharp shock with COVID and it's forced us to rethink a number of ways in which we might invest proceeds of that revenue in the future. I mean, you mentioned the, the women's game and, and high school game there. It does feel like for a long time that you know, the Black Ferns didn't really get anything like the same kind of emphasis. That That has felt like it's changed recently like how do you balance the need to kind of continue running the what is a very expensive machine in the all blacks with investing in you know the likes of women's rugby which you know if you look at women's sport globally there is so much opportunity there and it does feel like for example with the women's big bash and and even with the nrl that they might be a little like a step ahead of new zealand rugby what what is the opportunity there well the opportunity is massive so you know we're, we're incredibly excited about uh, Rugby World Cup 2021. It's unfortunate that we haven't been able to give you know, the, the team uh, the international fixtures we would have loved to for this year because of COVID, but nevertheless we're standing up um, some camps and fixtures you know, in, the, in the coming weeks that we're really excited about for their preparation. Um, I, I guess you know, there are a number of areas of the game at the moment that we would like to invest more in, and that's right across the board in the, in the professional arm and, and the community um, but we've just got to take a bit of time if you come back and to your question around what does that look like I guess it's about prioritising and then planning towards it and taking a more you know medium to long term focus around this but we believe we'll get there around um, the women's game we think next year we'll elevate the game of rugby for, for females in this country to a level you know unseen before and we think it'll play a leadership role right across the country for women in sport in this country which is really exciting but we are just in the reality of a time at the moment where we simply can't invest as much uh, resources we'd, we'd like to. Post-2021 World Cup, there'll be 
you know, I think opportunities around you know new and different leagues uh, for the women's game, and I think there'll be a more regional and world approach there, a global approach to that too. You know, we're starting to see through World Rugby development of a global calendar for the women's game, and there's you know moves afoot around you know New Zealand's involvement in what we're calling a, a Pack Four competition too with with regional partners. So, so those moves are afoot. You know, as you said earlier, it might be a little bit slow in coming, but some of the opportunities are starting to gather momentum now, and we're really excited about that. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. With you know, and, and as you reference those other competitions, what does the the sort of future look like for Super Rugby now? With you know, it's it's got a relatively limited investment horizon, lost South Africa, and there is the opportunity of the Pacifica team, but there are rumours that might not be supported by all of your sort of stakeholder unions. What do you think would be the ideal vision for that competition in the sort of medium term? Yeah, we want it to be the you know the best club competition in the in the world, the best professional competition in the world below international rugby. We think through Super Rugby, Aotearoa, and especially we've seen you know glimpses of what what that could look like. We do believe in I guess a more regional approach, and the and the, uh, the impact of COVID has had means that that's something we're looking at really closely. Been a lot of discussion around you know the the involvement of Rugby Australia in that competition, and we're really open to what that could look like in the future and we see a role for Pacific Islands as well. Um, more broadly we see opportunities into markets up into Asia and the, and the west coast of the United States with regards to the future of club competitions as well. Maybe not in the, all in the same competition but maybe you know competitions graduating into other competitions. And all that sounds quite exciting but it feels like one of the issues with Super Rugby is that it has almost never stayed still. Mm. As you look at the great sports competitions around the world, there is a sort of solidity to them that allows them to have a history that gives a greater weight to it. Mm. Which, is there a point coming where you sort of say, actually, we're, we're going to try and stick with this rather than this kind of forever experiment? That it, that it yeah, there will be. But, I mean, well, I think we've been clear for next year. You know, Sansa agreed that we'd run domestic competitions in our own areas and then work towards um, determining what 2022 looked like at that stage. So that'll be probably the time for the real reset in that space. And we think because of the success of Super Rugby Aotearoa, we probably can run one more you know, year of that competition and we're effectively forced to because of the uncertainty with COVID. From 2022 onwards, I, I agree with you. You know, there's an opportunity to, to really reset what that competition means and, and almost go back to the future in a number of ways, isn't it? You know, we, we saw in the late 80s and early 90s what, you know, a, a trans-Tasman Pacific competition could look like. So, so no, we're, we're excited about that. I mean, when you come back to your question around what do fans want, you're, you're right, like tribalism, you know, history, competitiveness, 
they're all key things in this as well. So we'll work hard to build that. And we have a lot of that sitting with, you know, 25 years of our own franchises as do, you know, Australian clubs. Outside of rugby, which sort of sports competitions do you look at and say they're doing a really, really great job of modernising their code and holding their history while not being bound to it in terms of the way that they can develop new audiences and so on? You know, I follow, and, th- and through my kids, we, we follow a bit around basketball. And so, you know, I think most sports fans look at the NBA and think they've done an amazing job at balancing the legacy and history of their game and those rivalries and still projected themselves into a modern environment where they're engaging with youth in lots of different ways and allowing different ways to engage in their sport. So for me, that, that's one that stands out. We're resourced a little bit differently than what, than what we are, but even as recently as the playoffs we saw and how they adapted to the bubble situation there um, and what, what they were able to do was extraordinary. So so that, that's one that jumps to mind. I'm a huge NBA fan, and one of the things that I think defines the modern NBA is that it has created a culture of following players almost as much as as teams and, and part of that you saw in the bubble with the way that it embraced Black Lives Matter and the protests going on in the US. Do you think that New Zealand rugby has, at times it's certainly there's been a perception within the media that it's players, that they've been restrained from expressing some of those opinions. You've seen that change a bit with the likes of TJ Peronara and so on becoming more vocal. Is that something that you think that New Zealand rugby could stand to loosen or, or do you think that it does have that role or is that just the players being a different kind of person? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very supportive and open to our players expressing themselves and the environments around um, rugby in New Zealand and understand that's going to be the prerogative of more and more athletes probably in the future. The Balancing Act comes around ensuring that people can have freedom of expression and explore all the different things that come with their own potential brands and narrative around themselves and what's been a very strong you know, team-first ethos around New Zealand rugby for some time. So I know that's something that our high-performance environments are really cognizant of and thoughtful about pondering in the future and will continue to do so. I think your broader observation around what they're able to do in sports like the NBA where they are creating you know, more heroes, more stories, more personal meaning and narrative is really powerful and it's something that we've seen in our own social media platforms that fans love getting a taste behind the scenes of what our players get up to and, and what they believe in. So getting that balance right between respecting the player and respecting the team and making sure the fans get great insights is just is a big balancing act that we're, you know, I think we're moving in the right direction towards, but um, we need to you know, keep constantly working on it. Yeah, just shifting tax slightly, match fit. Have you watched it? I haven't had the chance yet. I've heard I've heard great things about it. One of our directors, Bailey Mackey's uh, behind the scenes is in production and that. Yeah, mates that have watched it. I obviously played with a lot of those guys that are on it, or watched a few of them if they're a bit older than me. And I've heard heard awesome things. Yeah. So, so for listeners, Match Fit it takes a, a bunch of uh, former All Blacks who've you know a long way from their playing days in a number of different respects, and basically tries to get them ready for one last game. The thing that's really interesting about it for me is that it reaches back into as far as the sort of last days of the amateur era, and it involves archive. It reminds you of a different era of rugby. I mean, a lot of the time when you see the archive, it's daytime rugby, and that's something we've been privileged to have a lot of this year. It also feels instructive in another way in that it is so revealing of you know, some of the mental health challenges and the, just the transition out of sports. What and, and I've had Bailey on this podcast before, so he's, that's a great recruitment for the board, by the yeah. way. Do, do you think that part of New Zealand rugby's potential is to actually sort of move into that more pop cultural space and create elements that don't necessarily sit on Sky 
rather than feeling like all of the product has to go through that existing channel? Yeah, we, we want to find you know, um, the right balance between, again, I've used balance a lot today, but <laughs> between you know, recognising our strong partnerships that we have across a number of different levels. Um, in this instance, we're talking about commercial ones. By virtue of the fact that we need to reach new audiences and we need to project rugby in a, in a slightly different way um, as we go forward as well. And there are lots of different ways, you probably know better than I, around how we can do that. So there are certainly things that we're looking at at the moment, but we've got to take everyone with us, you know, as we work through that, be that in the case we're talking about at the moment with our players or, or Sky, as you referred to, or any other sort of stakeholder group or partners we might have. But absolutely, the key tenets of growing broader audiences, being more engaged, and being able to, I guess, project a slightly different narrative of rugby because it is so broad. I mean, you're, looking, you're talking about the match fit case, you know, we're talking about mental and physical well-being, which is a big part of who we are our, around our rugby way. It's very, very central and important to what, what we're about in terms of looking after our people. So how do we share more of the outstanding work we're doing in a lot of these areas and, and make sure that people understand there's a lot that sits behind the scenes in rugby that people don't see and appreciate sometimes? I mean, one of the other things that, that has been a sort of a big story in the last couple of days is the diversity of the incoming cabinet and and rugby is a, is a bit of a paradox in a way in terms of its actual on-field representation. It's one of the most diverse versions mm. of New Zealand mm. you could imagine. Some of the key roles in you know, likes of chief executive and, and the coaching staff and so on don't tend to reflect that as much at the very top level. Do you consider that to be an important part of your role is reflecting that? And, and how well do you think New Zealand rugby has done overall in terms of reflecting the gap between its its player base and some of those kind of more, more senior coaching and executive roles. Mm, diversity inclusion's really important to us, quite critical. Like a lot of organisations, you know, we know we could do better in that space. Uh, there's been some good developments. Obviously the board represents a stronger level of diversity than we've seen in recent times. I and mean, we're really conscious in our in our senior leadership group that that is something we want to work towards as well. Around the programs we run in this space around Māori and Pacifica and we're really, you know, pleased with that work. There's a reality around COVID again, like a lot of years of the game I just talked to before, that we'd love to resource a whole number of programmes here more than what we do, but we haven't certainly dropped that emphasis altogether. We just probably need to wait, as we do in a whole lot of years around community rugby and other aspects of the game, to um, to get into next year and then be able to stand up and, and focus on those things more. So, so I think you know I think we're doing okay, but I think we can do better. And and I know uh, the board and the and the senior leadership team are really focused on that. Uh, that was the fold for this week. I just want to thank uh, Stuart Soman Lund for putting together my um, briefing notes. Jane Yee for journeying with me to New Zealand Rugby HQ in Parnell uh, to, to record the podcast. And most of all, as always, the spin-off members, our, our shining light and, and those who keep our lights on. If you would like to become a member, head to members.thespinoff.co.nz. We hugely appreciate you all. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.